Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, uh, well, we're uh, continuing in Ephesians chapter 5 this week, continuing in verse 22. And this is a section of Ephesians that gets very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, the Word of God is not just about what we do on Sunday. Um, it is about what we do every day of our lives. And Paul is writing to Christians about the plan of God, the incredible things that God has done for them in Christ, and then how they ought to live as a part of that. So we've looked at the old, put off the old, put on the new in a very general sense about how we speak, how we act, how we live, conduct ourselves. But now he's going to get into our homes and say, hey, there's a way that you need to behave with your family members and the people in your house that um, it matters to God how uh, how we live. Yeah, I like the way you put that. It gets very personal and Paul doesn't hold back whatsoever. Everybody in the household is talked about in this section, uh, wives, husbands, children, the parents, uh, slaves, masters, everyone is included in the household here. And we have to understand if we're going to walk worthily, that changes every aspect of our lives. It changes every relationship that we have. And that flies in the face of what I think a lot of churches are, or different places are trying to teach that, you know, your church life is your church life. And then your home life is your home life. And then your work life is your work life. And then you're, you know, playing basketball is playing basketball. And, you know, it's just, everything is just cubbyhole. And Paul comes in and says, no, no, no. Living as a Christian and walking as a Christian overwhelms every category of your life. And so we're going to start in chapter 5 and verse 22 and read down to the end of the chapter where he's going to talk about wives and husbands. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. We'll pick up in Ephesians 5 verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So Paul first turns his attention to marriage and talking about wives and husbands And it's fitting that he should talk about this. Um, This is one of the longest passages in the New Testament on marriage, specifically on how husbands and wives treat each other. But it's appropriate because God started marriage. Marriage was God's idea from the beginning. 
and it goes back to the created order of things. Uh, the only thing that God said was not good in the sequence of creation was that the man was alone. Uh, he needed a helper. Um, and so marriage is a beautiful thing in the Lord's eyes. And again, we've talked about um, some of the warnings in the previous chapter about sexual immorality and the perversion of the sexual relationship that happens in the world. And here he's going to talk about the one flesh relationship of husbands and wives. And like we've been talking about, like the put off and put on, it's a little bit like uh, this is the put on <laughs> section, even though it's kind of a separated a little bit from the put off sexual morality and impurity that we talked about before. Um, but that uh, the sexual relationship is a beautiful and right thing. Um, and it's so much more than just that. Um, the things that he's going to talk about with wives and husbands here are mainly about, you know, how they treat each other just on an everyday level. Um, so we start with the wives first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he tells them, I like the way the ESV says this, uh, to submit to your own husbands. New American Center says be subject to your own husbands, but subject in that sense is kind of hard to nail down. But submit is a word we, we get and... Stephen and I recognize that this is not a popular teaching. This is not something a lot of people love to see in the scriptures, but it's here and we can't ignore it. This is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, instructing wives and husbands. And so we need to take this seriously. So the question is, what does it mean for the wife to submit to the husband? Right. And the parallel he draws is a powerful one. It's to Jesus and his church, That's his right. body. Um, that we submit to Christ in all things. Um, we listen to his teaching. We follow his example. And that is the model for wives submitting to their husbands. Now, one important thing about all this, and something that I think is a reason that people hate the word submission, is the flip side of this to the husbands. It's not telling them, all right, husbands, you got you got the you got the steering wheel, man. You know, like just do what you want. Yeah, and that's not the idea here in Ephesians five is that the husband is trying to force into submission the wife. Right, and, and that yeah. that there's something really important to note here is that the wives are told to submit willingly to their husbands. The husbands are never told make sure your wives submit. They are told to love their wives. And I appreciate that, that this is something that yeah. is not coming from the, the, the headship position from the husband. It's something that's coming from the wife. And the example for the husband is love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The idea of headship in the world or of authority is of total selfishness. And just like, great, well, I, I have the higher position so that means whatever I say goes, and I don't have to think about the people under me. I just, I just do what I want. And that could not be farther from the truth as far when it comes to biblical authority and headship. That is about sacrifice. It's about service. It is about giving yourself up for the people entrusted to you. And when we see the biblical picture of authority and leadership, it makes the biblical picture of submission 
much easier to understand and and it's it's not we don't balk as much at the idea of submission when we understand the kind of love and headship yeah. that the lord intends in those relationships and the kind of sacrifice that comes with it and sure. I, I think back to um a story in john 6 where there are several people following jesus and by the end of that story they leave jesus they, they no longer are following him Jesus doesn't go run them down, chase them down, put them in a headlock and say, no, you have to follow me. No, you have to submit to me. Instead, he even turns to the 12 and says, do you want to go too? You know, Jesus isn't forcing anyone into submission, but as we serve Christ, it, it is our choice to submit to him. Mm-hmm. And we have to, that is something we have to do. And it's a similar thing with the wives here. It is by complete, um, it, it's a volunteering. They're following voluntarily what the Lord says to do here. To their own husbands. Mm-hmm. And to the husbands, again, the primary instruction is to love your wives. And then he explains that as Christ loved the church, which I really appreciate because love is just a concept that is so messed up in our world. Um, love is just this emotion. It comes and goes. You fall in love. You fall out of love. And this is not that kind of love. This is a chosen, voluntary, sacrificial love as Christ loved the church, that Christ chose to come here. He chose to sacrifice himself. He chose to give himself up for us. And the more we understand that kind of love, which, by the way, while we were rebellious and not returning that love in any way, he still chose to come and to to be tortured to death on the cross so that we could live. And when we start to wrap our minds around that kind of love, it, it makes everything else fall into place. And so he, he explains that in this section, that Christ's goal in coming here was to redeem us, to cleanse us with the washing of water and the word, probably a reference there to baptism we've talked about in other episodes, um, so that he can present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I, I do think about like the white wedding dress here that is mm-hmm. kind of still a symbol in our culture and our society of the purity and, and holiness. And of course, we, as, as the bride of Christ, as the church, we have totally soiled our garments, totally messed that up. And yet what Christ has done in cleansing us is he has washed us in his blood. He's made us white again. And now we are fit to be his companion. We're fit to be the bride of Christ. It's a beautiful picture with all that. And he did that by sacrificing himself. And so this is an important thing to see, is that when we say, you know, honey, I'd take a bullet for you. You know, I'd be willing to die for you. That's important. Uh, I do think that's part of what's in view here, that, that, that we should be willing to physically give our lives and not be cowards for our families or for our wives. But Jesus's sacrifice was much more than just at the cross. Jesus gave up a lot of pleasures that he would have had the right to on earth. But Jesus also gave up a lot of pleasures that are sinful, you know, and he didn't, he had no sin in his life. Jesus was sacrificing himself every single day in service to the Father. And so as we think about sacrificing ourselves for our wives, it's not just a physical sacrifice, but there are other things that we need to give up just like Jesus did for the sake of our own wives. And that's important to see. It's more than just a physical giving up but in terms of our, our life, but it's putting our wives' needs ahead of our right. own. To, to lay down your life for someone uh, certainly includes the greatest sacrifice to like to die for them. 
but it's all the other little sacrifices. And if we're willing to make the big one, we need to be willing to make the smaller ones. That's right. The day in, day out things where I'm putting her needs ahead of my own. And um, I love the way that he also ties it back to our own bodies in verses uh, 28 and 29 and 30, um, that we intrinsically know to take care of our own body because we know the needs. We know when we get hungry. We know when we get tired. We know when we need um, the things that our body needs. And he says, like, you've got to learn to love someone else like your own body Mm -hmm. Um, because your wife is joined to you. You don't hate your own flesh. You nourish it and cherish it. And that's what Christ does for the church. He gives it what it needs. He tenderly takes care of us because we are members of his body. It almost describes us as in like, we have the same (laughs) body as Christ, which is crazy to think about. But then he turns to Genesis 2.24 and goes back to the beginning and says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Which, of course, is about Adam and Eve, the first creations of God, of humankind. And he says, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, um, that we become one with him. Um, that is an incredible mystery, and we won't try to plumb the depths of that right yeah. now. But going back to this quote from Genesis, the last time we actually saw this quoted as we've been going through different books of the Bible in this podcast was in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is asked about divorce and different situations, Jesus takes them all the way back to the creation order and the way things were made. Mm-hmm. And that this was always God's intended purpose for mankind. There be one man, one woman for all of life. Mm-hmm. And they will depart their father and mother and become one flesh. And that really is a, a beautiful metaphor that we need to live out in our marriages, that we truly see our wives as our own flesh and treat them as such. And like Stephen said, there's there's not time to plumb all the depths of this and the mystery that he's talking about here. But we need to understand just how foundational creation was. Jesus used it and so did Paul. So we need to see how serious those sections of the scriptures are. That's right. I love that he wraps it up in a really uh, practical way in verse 33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. And there's actually a whole like love and respect series that's got some helpful things in it um, uh, on marriage. But that's the foundational thing is the wife needs love from the husband. And the husband needs respect from the wife. Um, those are two kind of fundamental needs as men and women. Of course, we both need both of them. But I appreciate how he singles that out in verse 33 and says, this is, on a foundational level, God cares about how you treat your spouse. Um, and he expects you to love and respect each other. And when there is that relationship, when both people are choosing to put themselves last in the relationship and put the other person's needs ahead of their own, marriage will flourish and be the blessing yeah. God intended for it to be. And I'll just say, as we kind of look at this idea of the wife respecting her husband, that the husband section is there as well. Husbands, make it easy for your wives to respect you. Give them an easy reason to um, honor you and love you by the way you treat her and talk to her and make sure that it's as easy as possible for her to respect you as the head of the home. Mm-hmm. 
So that brings us to chapter six um, with children and parents. Uh, this is a little bit shorter section. Uh, we'll read Ephesians six verses one through four. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so now Paul is addressing children. And it's kind of really cool to think about. Remember, we're reading someone else's mail. We're reading someone else's letter here. And it's really cool to think about this church having children in it that are also children of God in terms of, you know, they've also put on Christ in baptism. They're, they're Christians, but they're still in their parents' home. And Paul is now instructing them, hey, you need to obey your parents. And this is the right thing to do. And it also just makes sense, doesn't it? Because this was one of the first commandments that came with a promise. And of course, what is Paul quoting there? This is the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's right. 20, verse 12. That's exactly right. And he points out that there was a promise that came along with that, that if you will honor um, my mind goes right back to that word respect there at the end of verse 33. If you'll honor and respect your father and mother, the promise is, is that it will be well with you and you will live long on the earth. Um, I think that's the promise Paul has in mind there. Yes, that's right. And, and I mean, and that's straight out of Exodus 20, verse 12. Verses 2 and 3 are quoting Exodus 20. Right. And um, Paul's comment adds in there, you know, this is the first commandment with a promise. Um, and he's basically trying to get the children to connect it with, this is not just an arbitrary thing like, okay, kids, like listen to your parents. But it's like, no, like if you do this, things will go better for you in your life. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that parents are perfect. I mean, he's going to have instructions for fathers in just a minute. But children's learning to submit to the authority of their parents is really a foundation for all the other kinds of submission to authority that they're going to have to do in their life. Submission to the government, submission um, in marriage, submission um, to church leadership, to elders, um, and ultimately submission to God. <laughs> you know, like if children learn that they don't have to listen to authority because their parents are not teaching that in the home, then it creates all kinds of problems uh, down the road. And so this foundational teaching of children learning to submit to their parents, learning to obey them in the Lord. Now, I do think it's notable that he says in the Lord. Um, obviously, in any headship submission relationship, the Lord is the ultimate authority. We should submit to the government unless the government tells us to do something that would break God's law. And then what Peter said in the book of Acts, we must obey God rather than man. It's true that there are times where children have to say, well, mom and dad, I'm, I'm going to do it what God said instead of what you said, uh, because uh, these authorities come in conflict. Um, that's true with any of these relationships, wives and husbands. Um, the wife needs to do what's right, even if her husband's not doing what's right. And so um, in all of these authority relationships, it's really important to remember that the Lord is the ultimate authority. And I think that comes out with this phrase, obey your parents in the Lord, right. uh, for this is right. And I do want to point out like we did for the marriage relationship that Jesus also uses this same verse in Mark chapter seven, uh, as he's quoting, honor your father and mother to the Pharisees who weren't taking care of their father and mother because they were sticking to this tradition where what they had was given to Corbin. And Jesus says, you're neglecting a commandment from God to keep your traditions. And so while obedience to your parents, I do think that shifts once you get in the marriage relationship or out of your parents' home, 
there is still a sense in which we can obey this command to honor our father and mother in taking care of them even once we're out of their home. Mm -hmm. And so I do think there's a part of this that is instructed to grown children as well, that we still need to honor our parents and see to it that they're taken care of in their old age. Yeah. Obviously, there's a change in that relationship that happens as the child matures, gets out on their own. Um, And I mean, we talked about leave your father and mother, hold fast to your wife. Um, There's an intention from the Lord um, about that, but there's still an honor that that, that continues throughout our lives. So then he addresses fathers in verse 4, and um, I think this would include the mothers as well, but it is notable that he talks specifically to fathers here. And it's just important to remember that in a marriage, it's not like, oh, well, like the the ladies raise the kids and the dad goes to work. No, fathers are tasked with raising their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, That is not uh, a one-sided thing. And um, certainly both parents are to be involved in that process. But man, uh, fathers are the ones who are addressed specifically here in this verse. And given this great privilege and responsibility and it's interesting that they're told there's kind of a put off and put on here uh, do not provoke your children to anger uh, if you go over to colossians um, chapter 3 verse 21 he'll talk about do not discourage your kids basically um, and it's interesting to think about the things that parents can do fathers can do that result in their kids being provoked to anger um just being inconsistent, not setting down rules that the kids know to follow. Like one day I do this and then I get disciplined for it. The other day I'm off the hook. And like when when there's not clear leadership and there's not clear rules defined, it's frustrating for kids to know like, well, what, what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> you know, like I, I, I do this and I do that. And like, it's not always consistent. And I'll tell you from a parenting perspective, that's one of the hardest things is consistency is to set down rules and guidelines and then to stick with them. Um, it's not to say that we can't ever adjust rules depending on how things are going, but man, consistency is hard. But that's one of the ways, easy ways, that parents can provoke children yeah. to wrath. Um, I'd like to kind of circle back to this idea of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord for just a second. What's really cool is the word bring up, bring them up. That's the same exact Greek word Paul uses in verse 29 when he tells them the husband's, that they never hated their own flesh, but they nourish and cherish it. The word nourish there is the same word as bring up. And so I think another helpful way to translate, um, looking at verse four here, is to nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we use that word nourishment in normally a a negative way, malnourishment, right? Not getting enough, um, someone who isn't eating enough. And as you think about that idea with a father to nourish his child, it's not just physical here, is it? But it's a spiritual nourishment Mm -hmm. that's taking place. And that means you need to be giving your children a steady diet of God's word, of his instruction, and bring them up in that. So I think that's pretty cool to see. And it's so important uh, that discipline and instruction are mentioned here. And one without the other doesn't work. If there is discipline given, there are punishments being given, but you're not telling the children why it's happening or what you're trying to teach them, that's a good way to provoke them to anger. That's not going to work. But if you're teaching them and instructing them, but you're never following up with any kind of reward or punishment, no discipline, 
then that's not going to work either. You need discipline, but you also need instruction. And that's so important when children are growing and learning is that they learn that there are consequences for their actions, that mom and dad are going to follow through with what they're saying they're going to do. These are not empty threats of, oh, if you don't do this now, then this is going to happen. I mean, like, we need to expect first-time obedience from our kids. But we also need to tell them why and tell them, and again, there are times where, because I said so, is all that's needed in that moment. Sure. But if the children do not understand, like, why the instructions, the discipline is being given. What did I do to receive the discipline? Um, it's not. It's not going to be effective. And um, again, all of this is. I like how he says in the dis- in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not just arbitrary rules, but the parents are trying to teach their kids. We're trying to teach our kids um, what the Lord has said and to respect the Lord. <laughs> Um, there's actually a whole cool section in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 on the discipline of the Lord and how he trains us as his children. Um, this is a great parallel to this. Um, but this section on children and parents is just foundational and important, um, for all our other relationships. And if you want more biblical instruction on how to discipline your children, um, just do a word search on the word discipline in the book of Proverbs and you'll Mm -hmm. find a couple of helpful passages that help us think about how to discipline, mm-hmm. and what we're trying to bring forth in the discipline that we give to our children. So we'll move on to this last section here as he talks about servants and masters. I'll read verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians 6. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So Paul here addresses what would have been, I think, somewhat common in the first century, um, that there was this servant-master relationship. And I'll just say at the outset, I believe this is very different than the slavery um, that was racially based here in the United States over the course of the history of our country. Uh, People approach these passages and immediately like, wait, what? You know, but it's really important to get some historical background as to the types of servanthood or slavery that are being talked about in these passages. And um, there are many different reasons that someone could end up in a servant position, uh, whether it was like out of debt or crime or like there's all sorts of different things that could land someone in a position uh, like this. And so it's important just to remember that um, biblically, like the the stealing of people is specifically condemned in the Old Testament. Um, And that we have to approach this historically from a little bit of a different perspective than we often have as Americans coming to this passage. Because servants are told here, obey your earthly masters and do it with a sincere heart as you would serve Christ. I mean, I like what he says here about um, eye service and being people pleasers in verse 6. that there are some principles of this that I do think apply to employer-employee relationships. 
that don't just do good when the boss is around. Right. And I'm just pleasing him as long as he doesn't see me slacking off. No problem. No. You serve him from the heart. And, and really, all of these relationships, husbands, wife, parents, children, slaves, master, they come back to this principle Paul Paul gives in verse 6 as slaves of Christ. You're, you're doing this because you were ultimately his servant, um, mm-hmm. regardless of your position in the household or not. Yeah. That You're a slave of Christ. And so that is going to dictate every single action that you have. And so you're going to do the will of God from your heart in those situations. That's right. And, and I love verse 8 because it's reminding these servants that the Lord sees the good that they do. Whatever good anyone does, this you will receive back from the Lord, whether he's bond servant or free. Yeah. The Lord sees the things that we do in secret. And when we're serving someone else, whatever relationship that takes on, whether as a servant here or as a uh, an employee or whatever, the Lord sees what we do and we're on the clock and no one's around. And if we're doing good for other people, we're serving them and helping them, the Lord sees that and he'll reward us accordingly. And if we're being lazy, you know, um, he's already addressed laziness uh, and equates that with stealing uh, back in chapter four. And says, Lord sees that too. Um, but if we're always having the mindset, I am a servant of the Lord. He is my ultimate master. And even when I'm serving other people, that's really just a subset of what I'm doing for the Lord. That's and right. so like serving them is a way that I'm serving the Lord. And that motivates me to do the very best in that service that I can. Yes. I, I had a good friend of mine recently put it this way. If you're someone that maybe is an engineer by trade, I'm a Christian whose side hustle is an engineer. You know, that's just kind of the, <laughs> that's kind of the side thing. That's the side gig that I do. But my main priority is I serve Christ. Everything else comes after that. And so I appreciate that perspective. But he doesn't end with servants there. He heads in instructions for the masters or the head of the household, if you want to say, or the boss, whatever. Verse 9, the masters need to do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Love what he does with the masters here. He kind of says, look, I realize you might have this position of authority in the household, but you're not the master master. That's uh, right. You're, you're not the, the head honcho in God's household, really. You know who your master is. And so don't threaten them. Don't, don't use those types of tactics to get them to obey. Give that up. Know that there's no partiality with your master. But rather, um, I think the point here is, is appeal to them with love and sincerity and, and be kind to them and truthful and Appeal to them that way. Don't threaten them to try and get them to do what you want them to do. That's exactly right. And that point about no partiality with God is really important to come back to because in each of these relationships, husbands and wives, children and parents, servants and masters, there is a a tendency in society to look down on the role that is serving the other, the one that doesn't have the authority in the relationship. And there's no partiality with God. Um, he values everyone the same and everyone has equal standing in his kingdom and in his, among his people in the church. And it's so important that we don't treat people with partiality and that we're not exalting one over the other. Now there are still authority roles that God gives here, but they're beautiful if headship and submission is handled in a, in a biblical way and both people are serving the other. And it makes those relationships work in the way that the Lord wants them to work. 
And so if we think about the lack of partiality that God has, he's the just judge. He sees everybody the same. It really helps us to kind of put everybody on an even playing field as far as how we treat people, how we serve people. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing when we, when our households and our society functions as God designed it to. Yes. Amen. And so let's take this into practical application. If we're someone who is an employer or has employees or whatever have you, you need to treat them as brethren in Christ or, or show them that shame, same amount of respect um, that these masters here were to show those who were underneath them. And so there are, I think, some excellent applications in this section for us, regardless of our position in the household or in the workplace or whatever have you. And so we need to make sure we're applying this. Um, but next week, Lord willing, we're, we're going to wrap up Ephesians 6 and really all of Ephesians in verses 10 through the end of the, the end of the book where Paul is going to give us some military um, examples of, of how to fight against the devil and his schemes and what our armor is um, that we can use to fight against the devil and the temptations that come. So Lord willing, we'll get into that next week. That's right. Well, if you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please leave us a, a rating or a review, subscribe to uh, the pod. Um, we'd love to study with you. If you have questions about things that we talked about today, uh, we certainly answer all the questions. Um, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949. You can text us or call us there or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.